Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend, Everett. Here we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm good. I feel like I came off the pot particularly well this week. Yeah? Yeah. I felt like it was super smooth. I got that first, you know, I got that first pull and then you slow it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm still in it. Still in it. Still. Mm-hmm. And climax. Uh, they probably haven't heard it for about 10 seconds. Uh, we could hear it. Yeah, yeah, we could hear it. I'm really, I'm really good, man. It's been uh, kind of an active week at work. So that's always like, I think it sort of gets my like <coughs> general temperament up. I anticipate just like being real salty, as you like to say, uh, tonight. I like them salty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, you know, when you get sort of like ramped up for battle, as it were, as a, as a litigator, at least, your body goes into like a, a, a fight or flight mechanic. So like, I'm just super ready to be like, nope. Uh-uh. We sh- should we, so should we expect to hear an objection tonight? Objection. Uh, no, I don't think so, but maybe. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, I've come locked and loaded with some of the most asinine positions that I'm willing to die on these hills, <laughs> though I don't agree with them. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Andrew, Andrew, how are you? I'm good. We're in the throes of weekend. I got... Uh, the, the it's, it's Tuesday. For me? <laughs> So I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming on the tail end of weekend, but I got uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, the remastered editions for Xbox in the mail today. Oh, yeah. Can I play with you? Because I think I could beat you. You could certainly beat me. I, I did the free play because it was still installing. And I was like, oh, man, I used to be good at this. And what the fuck? I wonder if I'm going to have that same experience. You will have that same experience. I have not played Tony Hawk since probably 2003. That's about, I mean, that's neighborhood of probably the last time I played it. I still feel like I could do it. I feel like that muscle memory was just like It comes back quick. It It was deep. It comes back, but those first three minutes, you're like, I don't get this. And it looks good, too. So that's the problem. Like, you remember Tony Hawk being this this box on a box. Mm. It looks good. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing that music again so that I can return to the couch. Is it is it the same soundtracks? It's appeared so. I I when my kids are in bed, I basically don't have volume. I oh, watch yeah. TV with subtitles and right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the headphones I just got will connect to my Xbox. Oh yeah, I think they should, yeah. So maybe I'll do that. Oh man. I was going to jam <sighs> I might not go to bed tonight. Don't your uh don't don't your controllers have a headphone jack? Yeah, I, but they don't work for all headphones. You could just take the Sony the MDRs down and plug them in. They don't work for all headphones. I haven't tried these, mm. but uh, I've tried a couple of different headphone sets. You get really that full sound stage. You get feedbacky on the ones that I've tried. They don't just they just didn't make a good connection. So. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be bullied into buying. Xbox, Xbox specific yeah. controller headphones because you're not like doing the online play or whatever. No, I'm not good enough for that, and I also don't want to hear those people. Yeah, you know, I had a <clears throat> I had an Xbox headset back in the day. I can't remember what what machine it was, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare when I was playing online, I had an Xbox headset, but I don't think it was expensive. I think it was like fifty bucks or something. 
I wouldn't be bullied for ten dollars if it was like <laughs> if it's a closed ecosystem and in order to enjoy it fully you have to buy that and I don't need it I'm not gonna buy your thing yeah just on principle well well so I think that they've gotten like one at least one if not two free other things this week so maybe because we are talking about watches yeah but let's just hit the music right we got, we got things to do well so we we had a guest scheduled for this week yeah i know thanks uh, a lot mike in, for showing us up uh, <laughs> up until what well, what yesterday we this was a guest show so we i think we've done really well in terms of topic but we we sort of had to access the the topic bank and kind of scrap one together yeah all because of mike do you think it was because of Mike? I think so. If he decided to be here tonight, then... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been a guest. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, guess some, we got some guests coming up, some interesting guests coming up here in the next few weeks. But as for this week, it's just the two of us. Sorry, y'all. We can make it <laughs> if we try. No. That's, this, is, this is dead in the water. We're <laughs> so we're talking about vintage reissue watches, specifically the issues with reissues. Yes. And there are many. And and while this topic, I'm going to give you credit because this is your topic and I think it's an excellent one. And I was really pumped uh, when you when you presented it. But um, I'm going to take full credit for the title. Oh, I I am because you you sort of like got close, but I I am the one. I really made it happen. Are you sure I didn't text you issues with reissues? Uh, something you, you did something, something exactly like that. like that. Yeah, but it, but I'm the one who actually you added the the. I made it sing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I feel actually okay with this. I feel okay with this. I, I have no reservations. That's okay. So that's our topic today. The issues with reissues. And we've got some loosely laid out ideas that we want to talk about. But I think this is a huge and really convoluted and really personal topic. Because we posed it to the group text. And it was <laughs> bedlam. Yeah. <laughs> Just pure chaos. Ultimately, we came down to... Reissues are cool unless they're not. They're not cool unless they are. Mm -hmm. Never fuck with the size unless you need to fuck with the size. Mm -hmm. Fix the innards unless you don't need to. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fix the innards, you're lazy. Mm -hmm. Never change the colors, but offer new and updated colors. Don't screw with materials yeah. unless you do. Yeah. Or, or don't unless you, you should. Yeah. Unless you should, yeah. And this... And I think that's that, a really clean set of rules as far as rules go. Yeah. And I think that that kind of hits the nail on the head for the reissue game, which I, I think is maybe too big right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's right. A Andrew, uh, other things go. OK, so I'm <laughs> we all love reissues. Yeah, I think so. I love a re I love a good reissue. I think there are just as many bad reissues as good reissues, but I also think there are just as many bad new releases as there are good new releases. You know, on that note, on that note, because that's actually a nothing statement, and so I'm going to turn it well, into a something statement. I, 
in prepping for this episode, I attempted to, yeah, I called it a nothing statement. It's not a nothing statement because you interrupted me. <laughs> um, I Googled a number of combinations of bad vintage reissue watches. Mm-hmm. I, I think I Googled terrible, worst, you, you know, a number of like negative pejorative words in conjunction with vintage reissue watches. And, and they don't exist. Those articles, those links don't exist. You know, on, on each of those, I got four or five pages deep with no r- real positive search results. And when I say positive, I mean negative. You, you know, I, I think that that is, it, I think that that's reflective of a couple things. One, um, watch media is largely clickbait. Uh, positive sale through, yeah. Listicle, <laughs> affiliate marketing driven. Uh, and, and, to the extent that it's it's not that it's people aping that because they think that that's what successful websites should look like um and and furthermore when i did find negative feedback regarding vintage reissue watches it was always i think really petty silly unintellectual you know there's a a, a pretty good youtuber a, a, a youtuber i like i'm not going to say his name for for obvious reasons uh but so we he's, work for him. he's got <laughs> he's one if you search this stuff one of this fellow's videos will come up and it's just this hot take about how seiko's making a huge mistake well you, you know with one of their with one of their vintage reissues seiko's got many of these right and it's like well you, you know your objections are it's too expensive and it looks like another watch and shut the fuck up like like these are not intellectually stimulating objections they're the kind of objections i hate right and and so i think we would all agree and by we all i mean you and me at the very least andrew hi i'm waiting for my turn to finish my thought no wait we're not getting back to that (laughs) i think we would all agree that there are bad vintage reissues Mm mm-hmm because there are just bad watches. There are people. There are missteps. There are poor, ex- poorly executed, poorly designed. You know, through the bomb out there and missed designs. But we're not really talking about it. Or Correct. maybe, maybe <clears throat> we're not talking about it in a in a productive or meaningful way. Is is maybe my point of that sort of long inter- interruption distraction? We're not like we maybe should Hold be, on, or I'm done, or we're not in that we don't because it doesn't matter because flops flop. There's no news in a flop. There's no excitement Maybe. in a flop. Maybe that's right. I think that's why. Yeah. I don't think we should be because there, there are just misses. And we talk about this a lot. It's easy to f- find an ugly watch and say, Ugh, that's ugly. You don't need me to tell you yeah, that no. watch is ugly. If you need me to tell you that that watch is ugly, you know, maybe you don't think that watch is ugly and you're a crazy person and you should buy that watch because they need to sell it because they made it and they need, they need to sell it. To get rid of it so <laughs> maybe that's the next article i write for the website is the the 20 worst micro brown watches of the last three years and just trash on people i like and see, <laughs> see what happens <laughs> maybe they'll send you a free one to prove to you that it's not so bad you know the only watch i think i've ever really trashed on and i haven't really trashed on it but john ferrer's uh, initial i can't remember what it was but the really big 
is really big. Oh yeah, uh, initial release, which I, it's actually a really cool watch. But John's such a like easygoing guy that I know I can make that joke and he's not going to get upset. But I think I'd be uncomfortable trashing watches from. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Mostly because there's so much that goes into it, and there are things to like about damn near every watch out there. Yeah. That's what I like looking for. Can we talk about some issues with reissues, though? Have <laughs> <laughs> at it, Andrew. Okay. I'm here, I'm here with you. I think I we, know. I, I know it doesn't seem like it at this point, but I am. Yeah, I promise. I think there are too many reissues. Hot take number one. I'm going to check check this off. Go ahead. I, I just think, I think there's too many. I, I want to see one? less because we see really well executed reissues. We see not so well executed reissues. <clears throat> in that we see one-to-ones, we see things with upgrades, we see things that maybe should have been upgraded that weren't, like the new Bolovo that just came out was still 16 millimeter lugs, which is a weird choice, but good for them for keeping it one-to-one. Are we done talking about this watch? Because I have something to say about it, so if we're not going to circle back, I'll... No, we're <laughs> obviously going to circle back. I just want to see less of them. I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of seeing new, 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 and under it, is just an iteration, a color change, a bracelet change of a reissue that was already out there. And I know that's brands capitalizing on the reissue craze that we're experiencing right now, but I want to see more like actually new stuff. Like don't just don't just run through the Rolodex and find one you like and drop it. I want to see new designs. That's what I want. Please. Can you think of a new design in the last year that you were like Kablamo. The C63 is the only one I can think of that, and it's not really a new design. It's just an iteration. I mean, uh, it's an iteration. I think we've hit our we've hit the the terminus of new designs, right? I'm air quoting new designs because there are so many. There are only so many acceptable watch shapes. There are only so many hand combinations and dial combinations. I think we're sort of there. I think what it comes into now is in case development case shapes in the way of your finishing, your anglage, the way you interact your case with your dial. Um, but in, in like new stuff that's come out in the last year, the C63 line was a good hitter. Um, <laughs> You're making my point very well. Yeah. You, you know, there's only so much you can do with watches, right? I guess, I guess maybe that. That's what I, I mean. I said that. I, I guess <clears throat> you, you, you did, but, but that really is, that really is the big, at some point, these brands need to come out with new stuff, whether that's new or old or new old or old new or whatever. They need to continue to release models every year. SKUs. They can't rely on last year's SKUs because they need new SKUs in order to get new customers mm-hmm. and to retain existing customers, right? And so there's this um, awful system in which you you know unless a company you you know there's there's a good friend of mine someone i talk to about watches often but who really trashes uh laurier because laurier has as he puts it one watch laurier's just got one case and notwithstanding the fact that i think that that's not true for any number of reasons because they have uh, at least three his his point is a is is a decent one and you, you know, the the opposite of that is, you, you know, a lack of cohesion or a brand that tries to do too much or 
um, you know, a brand that has some good watches and some misses, or mm -hmm. perhaps because they're so focused on redesigning the wheel every time, they miss on other important aspects. You know, there's a couple brands that pop into my brain, but, you know, I think a, a brand that does really well with sort of having diversity of uh, form factor notice, mm -hmm. a brand that we really enjoy. I really like their watches. I really like what they're doing. Um, but what we've seen with notice is maybe a, a little bit of a turn back to the detail. And, and I know that their last few releases have been colorway iterations, right? Mm -hmm. Which I, I know is not your favorite thing. You'd rather brands really, you know, push on some key aspect as opposed to simple, uh, color iteration. But notice I, is unique in that though, because they, <laughs> Every colorway iteration, they also make upgrades to the watch. E even mid mid run, they're making upgrades to the watch. There there's seventy five iterations of every watch that they have at this point because they're constantly developing. Yeah, yeah, and and so I guess the point is you, you can't have you can't have everything, right? There's there's X amount, especially with these micro brands. Although I don't think that's really what we're talking about today. No. Um, that, that's maybe something a little bit different on our side. So, you, you know, with these brands, Timex, for instance, and I think a great mm -hmm. uh, place for us to start this conversation uh, to the extent it hasn't started, would be with the Timex Q, right? Yes. Uh, perhaps in the affordables world, at least, the most ubiquitous vintage reissue of the last handful of years in any event. Um, you, you know, I know you have some thoughts about the Timex Q. You, you're yeah. a, a Q owner. I am. It's not allowed in studio. Otherwise, I'd have it. <laughs> I I love the Timex Q. The, the, when it first released, and it went from $180 watch retail to you can't get them under $500, and just... There was just this period where you couldn't get them because they were all gray market, all marked up. Four fifty, five hundred bucks yeah. on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. And I just went to the Timex website one day and they happened to have inventory and I bought one. And I love it. For 180 bucks yeah, or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. I paid retail, like I think eight ninety nine shipping or something stupid. But I bought it and I loved it. And they that was so I bought the Pepsi, and I think at that time they had the Pepsi and the black. Yeah. That's for those first that very that, first run of that Q Timex. First run. And it's exciting. Because it was this cool reissue, it was really true to form with the necessary updates, right? It didn't have an original movement, so that would be bad. It had a modern movement. A Seiko movement of all things. Right. Thanks, Timex. Still a bi-directional bezel. Still all these really charming things about the watch. But they're still releasing Q Timexes with huge marketing campaigns and just changing the colorway. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, I like the bezel-less one more. The, the, the Falcon the Eye. The Falcon Eye. Yeah, so they've just released this green. The green one, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's actually what, what sparked this this topic, correct? That's, yeah, so uh, kind of. It was I was thinking about it anyway, and I saw it, and I got really mad, and it, it went aside because it's not new. <laughs> I'm down with companies having flagship models because I don't, I, I think when I, maybe when I'm saying new, 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 I'm, I'm maybe misspeaking what I'm what I'm thinking because I'm a little riled up. I don't need a company to be like Invicta and have 10,000 SKUs. I'm totally okay with a company like Brew or Laurier or Manta having six SKUs. And if they drop a new color every year, 
that's new. Like just one, like their one release a year is they're going to drop a new color. And they're pouring money into, oh, we're going we're gonna to do this bracelet better. Or we're going to do this better. We're going to do this we're better. We're going to improve our engineering. We're, we're doing something that yeah. isn't just trying to drive click traffic and sales out the door in the way of frenzies. Yeah. We want to build a customer base. We want to build a following. We want to build a brand. And that kind of that's why I take issue with this is it's new, it's new, it's new. And I think I, that's kind of why my original point, I think the reissue is being overplayed because that's where everyone likes. And I think the the Falcon Eye, the green Falcon Eye is dope. Yeah. I really like it. And, and just in case you guys don't know, this is Timex Q. It's their I don't know what kind of like a uh it's a wedge case. I'm not sure. It's a little yeah. bit different case than the than the Q Timex that first came out, mm-hmm. but uh they I don't know, a couple months ago, they released a green and it's no, like in the all, last week. All, all new, yeah. all, all new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. But can you call it a vintage reissue if it's not, if it if it's a color change, or like what is what's the threshold for it to be a vintage reissue, or is this just the revitalized, resurrected Q Time X line that is now going to live in perpetuity? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and I, I guess I I don't know that, and I think it's I I assume it's a rhetorical question. Um, and is that a problem if if Timex had a watch forty years ago? 30 years to 30 years ago and now they've reintroduced it and it's got lasting appeal is that problematic to continue to refer to it as i mean in 2035 will it still be the vintage reissue it can't be and is that a problem is this even a is this even an issue of course it's not an issue we're talking about watches (laughs) (laughs) yeah well okay we're and look, look, I'm riled up. I'm a little I have like sweat breaking <laughs> on my hairline. Good night, you guys. O- over fun. this topic, uh, <laughs> but it's watches. It doesn't matter. But I I'll get excited about it. Yeah, I'll even get angry about it. It's not new. So so in in this instance, you're taking umbrage not with the watch or the form of the watch or or even perhaps the color of the watch, but rather the presentation. The marketing presentation of the watch. Yes. How long can we go? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually, you, you know me, I, I don't like, that's like my least favorite criticism of a brand is marketing, right? Because marketing is so weird, right? You've got to just, so sort of marketing is famously this like experimental. Yeah. Uh, operation and and maybe your point is that it's kind of lazy, right? Like we're ceasing to be interesting with marketing. We're just marketing and using these terms and phrases, which I think is a fair criticism. Yeah. With that said, I think you, I think Timex has done really well with the physical aspects of their reissue program. They absolutely have, and and I think increasingly so. You know, there have been several. Timex that have been introduced in the last shit three or four months that I've thought that is really that's really fantastic you know the, their most recent um, their most recent military r- release uh, w- which is famously uh, American mm-hmm. mill spec mill design um, field watch and, and you know we, we sort of I think you and I had a conversation about this and and I had conversations with people online. Well, this is uh 
a Hamilton khaki, uh, you know, they're, they're taking the Hamilton khaki mechanical and, and stealing it. Well, that's not exactly right. You, you no, know, it's just that, yeah, <laughs> this is a, a military design watch. It's a design spec, right? So they're, they're using this historically significant design spec in the same way that Hamilton's using that. And, 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 and anyone else. And, and is that okay, right? Does at some point Hamilton or Benris or Marathon or any of or the other number CWC of companies or, yeah. Does some, at some point, do, does someone get ownership? Does the fact that Timex never, does the fact that Timex never released that watch in a period appropriate time, does that mean they've lost the ability to have that, that design? And, and I don't know. And, and, and also, is that still a vintagery issue? If it was never released, it, that's right. So Timex never made that watch. Are they now allowed to vintage reissue that watch? I don't know. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> the answer is yes. But is, is it tasteful? Or, you know, is it tasteful as a brand to do that? Is it tasteful as a consumer to consume that? Uh, you, you know, obviously it's archival releases. I mean, you know, Bulova. That's Bulova's making their money right now on archival releases and on vintage reissues that's i mean all the non-weird experimental stuff that's out there yeah yeah that's right Bulova's like they're kind of invicta or vintage reissue there, there's not really an in-between <laughs> well let's talk about Bulova. Are, are you are you comfortable talking about Bulova for a second here? yeah so so the first Bulova vintage reissue that i I remember, and I'm sure this isn't the first, but it's the first one that I have consciousness of as I look back, was the Devil Diver release that they did probably 2015, 2016. Um, you know, the famous 666 feet. You know, it's got those really crazy upright see-through markers. It's just this, like, terrifically... 70s high tacky watch right yeah and i think when they first reintroduced this they had two versions they had a limited thousand piece 41 40 and change millimeter version which was true to the original specifications mm -hmm. and then Bulova being the completely tone-deaf brand they are, had a modern version, which is this 44 millimeter, just gigantor behemoth. behemoth. And um, in 2016, watches are trending. Oh, God, that's the decision there. Right. <laughs> you know, 2016 is the time where they could have said, you know what, we we can get into this, we, you know, but they're not paying attention. They're serving a much larger market than the enthusiast market, which in fairness, I think in 2016, the move to smaller watches was maybe not quite as widespread as it is now. I think it was still popular sentiment that a watch needed to be big in order to be masculine or whatever. Um, That's how you get your right arm strong. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so on one hand, they have this really pretty neat, the orange dial 41 millimeter cool watch that nobody can get. And on the other hand, they have this turd, this 44 millimeter weird yeah. watch. And they've corrected that now, right? They've gone back mm -hmm. and they've released that watch in a 41 millimeter version, which they probably should have just done in the first place. And maybe lessons have been learned or, or maybe 
it was perfect business sense for them to have the 44 first and then to transition later. Maybe their customer base wasn't ready for that yet. But in my mind, that's the best, or maybe the earliest example I can think of of how do you really fuck up a vintage reissue? Yeah. You do it like that. You do it like that. You, you change the dimensions in the wrong way. Like doing an OP 36 at a 32. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good, that's a a good, uh, maybe turning point to talk about what, what for you is an appropriate change in a reissue? Because we see it all the time. Very few reissues are one-to-ones. Very few. Yeah. Because you're reissuing a watch from a time when style was very different. When 36 millimeter watch was far more appropriate than it is now when things were just different. There wasn't uh, this this manufacturing desire for efficiency. So not every lug was 18 or 20 unless you're Grand Seiko and might as well make them 19 just for funsies. The, the, the uniformity in manufacturing just wasn't quite the same. So you get weird lug widths. You get kind of funky designs with a big-ass watch and a little-ass bracelet. What's appropriate to change for you? For, for me, personally? Yeah. Y- you know, I, I really... <clears throat> and, and you know this, right? So to sort of stick with Bulova for a second to, to hopefully answer your question or at least come up with an answer that seems like I'm answering your question even if I'm not. Um, you, you know, Bulova re-released these mill ships watches here in the Mm -hmm. last couple of months yeah like three months or so and first i just want to say i think these watches are incredible i i think they're really neat they've got some really cool engineering i you know the the bezel is a push to turn thing um yeah you you know these watches are just interesting in, in and of themselves and then in the context of vintage reissues i actually really like what Bulova did with them, which is that they took this kind of quirky, kind of weird watch and they made it modern. Mm-hmm. The movement's modern. The engineering, while historically significant, is for Bulova, not significant in a grand scale, but for Bulova was significant. They took all that stuff and they put it in like really modern techniques, modern materials, modern uh, unions of material too, which I think is an important thing. So everything works like a new watch, but it aesthetically looks very much like the old watch. And all, all the way to, there's two points I think of contention with that watch. One is the thickness. I think that there's two different versions of that. One of them is very thick and the other is less thick. Um, but they're both kind of chunky watches. Yeah. And they have <coughs> 16 millimeter lugs, which I think almost everybody doesn't like. Almost everybody who's talking about it doesn't like. Clearly, some people like it because people are buying these watches mm-hmm. and enjoying these watches. I'm in the that's really neat camp. I would have been irritated if they would have changed it because I think that what makes watches neat and you know this about me i like watches that are a little weird yep like give me something different because with 
18 or say 20 millimeter lugs, that watch just looks like a looks different like watch. Else, yeah. right? It looks like a Blancpain or it looks like any number of Blancpain homage, right? It just it is going to wind up being a boring watch. As it is, it's really interesting. I don't share the general expression of uniformity in design, right? I, I think that there's this pervasive and maybe even toxic idea in all things, right? Watches, cars, knives, whatever, that if you do something different, it's bad. And, and I don't think anybody who holds those opinions would phrase it that way. But when I hear people say it was a mistake to continue to do 16 millimeter lugs, what I hear them say is taking risks or being different in an unexpected way isn't okay with me. And for my part, I think that's what I want, right? Bulova sticking to that, while I don't think it was necessary, I think that's what makes that watch interesting. Those 16 millimeter lugs are for me the thing that makes that watch interesting. I don't think it's aesthetically bad. It's just different. I have, I have two thoughts. Yeah. I did, one, I didn't answer your question. Don't care. Don't, don't remember it. <laughs> <clears throat> Thought number one. I think I'm somebody who's willing to say this was a mistake. And it's only a mistake because it didn't work. It, what, do you, what do you mean by it didn't work? When, when, when a company makes a design, when, when a company makes a decision and it works... A, a different decision. They decide to break the mold and it works. Awesome. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Either I don't like it, people don't like it, it flops, take your pick. That's what taking risks is. Bulova's not really known for taking risks that make sense. They tend to change vintage reissues in weird ways. And this... and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think what makes I think it's weird that it has 16 millimeter lugs I think you're right that it makes it interesting and to, to give it 18 or 20s is going to make it look like everything else which is going to change the change the watch at which point why bother re-releasing it right there's only so much change that you can do to a watch before you're not vintage you're not reissuing a vintage watch you're just putting brown loom on the dial and calling it a vintage reissue. And it's worth noting that this isn't a vintage reissue of a watch that was actually in circulation. Yes. This is a vintage reissue of a prototype watch. Yeah, they went to the archive and said, hey, we never made this. Let's give it a try. Yes. As it is. And it's cool. I think when, when you start making a ton of changes to the structure of the watch, start changing the case size, shape, lug size, shape, just, just it's a new watch. It's just a new watch. It's not It's not the Honda Civic that's evolved over this period of time because there's been a gap in production. It's not It's not just, you know, the, the 2016 version, the 2021 version. It's a whole new watch. You don't get to call it a vintage reissue if you've entirely re-engineered it, slapped a new name on it. I don't think. Yeah, and, and I think some of this, so I think some of this conversation depends on us Um perhaps falsely reinforcing messaging that we have perceived the companies to have delivered to us when maybe they didn't, right? I, I mean, sometimes certainly companies are really explicit about what they're doing. Sometimes they're more specific than maybe we give them credit for. But, you know, that this conversation of is it a reissue or is it not, I think is maybe a little like 
the conversation about is it in-house or is it not? Mm. Sometimes we've made assumptions about what certain things mean. And then we expect these companies to adhere to those definitions that have been created outside or, or, or perhaps internally. You know, we've we've all agreed on what certain things mean. And then the company maybe isn't in on that joke. And they perceive an alternative meaning. You know, it, whose fault is it? Is it's it our fault? fault? Is it their fault? Um, Cater to me. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not going to buy your watch, but do the thing that I want. Yeah. So, so you, you know, what's what's okay to change? I, frankly, I think these companies can do whatever they want. Seiko gets a lot of flack for their vintage reissues. I think in particular, the 62 MAS iterations that have come out in the last four or five years, any number of them have been the subject of ire right the mm-hmm. seiko fanboy is particularly uh venomous with his uh statements and the the 62 mas reissues are have been too expensive n- n- you, you know uh w- w- what's the what's the term i'm looking for uh not not worth it oh yeah it, it's not worth what they're charging it, it'd be worth it at a thousand dollars less right and, and and so at the end of the day Seiko's Seiko off, does this thing often. Well, they'll release two very similar watches at two seemingly incomprehensible price points. One of them, one of them being affordable for for someone like me. I I look at it and I think that's affordable. And then one of them being a limited edition with a little bit better movement, in indistinguishable via the internet anyway, indistinguishable. Um, fit and finish differences, and w- one of them will be eight hundred, nine hundred bucks, and the other one will be four to seven thousand dollars. Do you know? Do you know how they do that? They put a Prospects logo on the case back, right? <laughs> well, I, and, <laughs> and 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 I think your your you know your your joke is is well received, right? But but honestly, at the end of the day, there are differences between these watches, and. You, you know, there's lots of things a company can sell. A company can sell exclusivity. A company can sell a movement. A company can sell finishing. They can sell uh, material differences. Mm-hmm. They can sell manufacturing differences, right? There are any number of things a company can and should charge for. And, and so that criticism often, I, I think, it falls flat for me. It, but Seiko, I think, is doing, by and large, their vintage reissues really well. Hundred percent. What can, I wanted to talk about my favorite reissue that's been reissued several times over, the Alpinist. Yeah, yeah. We're on what iteration five of the main line of, of the main line Alpinist. Yeah, and they're only really just calling the most recent a reissue because they went back to the OG design. You're talking about the 1959 <clears throat> mm-hmm. reissue that came out earlier this year, rather than. The, the Alpinist is the Honda Civic. It's by and large been in production the duration of its lifetime. I'm going to say Jeep Cherokee, but keep Take going. Take your pick. Okay. Jeep, Jeep Wrangler. Wrangler. That's the one I yeah. meant. Yeah, thank you. By and large, well, it's it's changed more than a Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yes. It, but by and large, it's been in production for the duration of its lifetime. And it's changed a lot. There's been a lot of iterations. There's annual iterations there's changes, there's body changes. 
There's dial changes, but it's been in production. And just now, Seiko is calling their release of it a reissue because they went back to the 1959 design. That's my favorite reissue because the, the Alpinist still is in existence. It's still there. It's still being produced. And the reissue is a parallel release in conjunction with what's already in production. And and I'm not a huge fan of the most recent, like the sand textured releases. Those aren't for me. Mm-hmm. But I never liked sand texture. <laughs> almost universally, no. I can't think of a time where I've liked it, but I can't say with certainty that I don't like it. But that's my favorite reissue. Because they're really going back to the original design. They're not dropping this whole new watch. They're not abandoning something else. They're not treating it as a new line. They're not resurrecting it. And maybe that's it. Maybe they're not trying to resurrect the Alpinist with this reissue. They're just dropping something cool. What do you think of these companies that are, you know, we've talked about this a few times in recent weeks, but what do you think of these companies uh, that are zombie brand companies that sort of seemingly came out of nowhere um, with the sole purpose of revisiting a catalog that's been dead for 40 years. Uh, the the ones that pop to my mind, some companies that have done this really well, I think Woolbrook is a company mm. that's very much in our world that's done this really well. Uh, Nevada Grenchen is another one that's yeah. sort of, and, and Nevada Grenchen is this really interesting company to me because I think that they're very much focused on meeting the needs of neckbeard enthusiasts. Um, you hard to sustain. Maybe I, I, it seems you only get to, to be like, the darling for so long. <laughs> but then you've got companies, you know, uh, Alsta is is one that comes to mind. Wellsbro, um, Wellsbro certainly. Um, what's the other one? Oh, the other one I'm thinking of is Synchron. You know, Synchron's maybe a little bit different beast, but you've got these companies that are sort of tapping into that next level, that next level of enthusiast, a uh, little bit more money um, with with varying degrees of success, I think. Uh, what do you think of that general, that general uh, idea? It's a dangerous business venture for me. You're resurrecting something that people have no, people aren't even aware of being dead. You know, if if nobody talks about the ghost that the person, you know, totally peacefully died in their sleep in their house, they talk about the horror stories, right? I mean, this isn't, it's it's such a, a tough road to hoe, resurrecting something people didn't know was gone. Because you cannot market yourself as a new brand. You can't be the new, exciting, hot thing. You can be the new, exciting, revived thing. Hey, this brand has just come to life because you own it. You know we've we've been we've been risen from the dead. You have this balance that you must strike, and I don't know where arbitrarily it is because it's totally arbitrary. I think you could very easily take issue with Wellsbro being resurrected and creating a whole new watch out of spare parts. Though it's a zombie brand, and it perfect makes perfect sense to zombie a watch together. I think you could take issue with them not doing a Wellsboro design release. I don't personally, but I think it'd be easy to do so. Yeah, I think Wellsboro is a little <laughs> bit different, and I think it almost doesn't fit into this conversation. But uh, your, your point is well made, right? What sort of what sort of what do you uh, owe to the brand name? That's right. Versus what do you owe to you for having bought it 
and and your future. And and the other question is how so you, okay so you buy the brand name. What's every where's everything that came with it? All the technical specs are gone, all the designs are gone. Are you really reviving the brand or are you just buying the logo? Yeah. This IP you've purchased, what what is the substance to that IP? Yeah, cuz if you, a brand transaction, if if we were to buy a watch brand, we would have all of the intellectual property property that goes along with it, not just the the in theory of it in the way of the branding, but we'd have all the technical drawings, all the design specifications, all the research, all the technology to the extent those things existed. <clears throat> well, but but if we if we were to go by notice right now, oh sure, that brand transaction is easy. Which is okay. It's under new ownership. We're not. We're going to produce notice watches. When we see this happen a lot in the industry, right? When Etta buys a brand, they contract with the engineers and the and the people who are designing those watches. They contract with them to stay on and you know to pass the the torch, as it were. So, uh, yeah, that's a different. It's a different situation versus a company like a company like uh, Nevada Grenchen, for mm-hmm. instance, which I think is a great example. That you know resurrected from the dead who knows what if any of these technical specifications they have almost none so anything they're going to do that's going to be a true reissue is going to be wholly re-engineered based off of somebody's best interpretation of photographs that existed from the day maybe some pieces probably not many yeah maybe like uh um you know, you know, MRIs or CAT scans of of existing mm-hmm. models that they've come across. Yeah, but who's going to do that? Yeah, well, pe- brands do that, but you, you know, I think another interesting, I think another interesting brand, w- one that I've already mentioned, um, but Synchron. Mm-hmm. Synchron is a watch that, or is a brand that has sort of come back in the last handful of years, and actually, the story about Synchron is a really interesting one. And I think it could perhaps, the, the whole story about Synchron and their relationship to Doxa could make an interesting episode. And maybe we'll do that someday. Um, I fucking love these. But th- so, so this is a weird watch. So Synchron historically owned any number of companies. They owned uh, several sort of Swiss strap companies and amongst other things, they owned Doxa. So Synchron, I believe their first their first watch is this Synchron military. And uh, I know Jason Heaton from the Grenado is a big fan of these. P- people like these. Will likes these. Um, right after Synchron released this military watch, Doxa, you know, and if you look at this watch, you'll, you'll notice right away, well, this looks very much like a Doxa. It's going to make sense why we're talking about it. And... and uh, Doxa announces they're going to remake their military watch, which if you look up Doxa military is exactly the same as the Synchron military. Well, well, who owns that design? And I don't mean, I don't mean legally speaking. I mean, emotionally speaking, perhaps, um, because legally speaking is maybe a different question altogether, but, um, and may play out. I think that'd be interesting. and, And so if, if now Doxa releases this watch and you have a choice between these two, which do you buy and which do you feel okay buying? Maybe maybe you don't care and, and that's okay. But I, I think it's a valuable 
conversation. Is is what Synchron did here okay? And and there's not that big of a price difference between the two. So money's really not an object in the conversation. Right. And we always say homages of historic watches, you know, that you can't really get anymore. Well, that's that I give that a pass because that's cool. Um, this is sort of, you, you know, I imagine that based on the timing of those announcements, that there's some tension here. And, and in fact, I'm almost positive there's some tension here. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I think we've talked a little bit in circles here, and that's okay because this is a circular conversation. We're never going to have answers. Do you have any hard and fast rules regarding vintage reissues in terms of sizing, in terms of materials, in terms of whatever. Do you personally have any hard and fast rules? Not materials. I think you... I like, think like you, what about like <clears throat> acrylic versus sapphire? Are you okay if we change that? I, I'd rather you not. Like I, I'd like it to stay as true one-to-one as you can. And the nice thing about the way that watch style acceptance is going is that we're trending toward a time where almost everything from the 70s and 80s is going to be fashionable, is going to fit the current palette that we have for watch taste. You don't need to change shit to pull a watch out of the 70s or 80s and make it look really good right now. You just got to make it. And most of these companies that are doing reissues have deep enough catalogs of both circulated and uncirculated watches that they could do it. Yeah, for sure. Without making significant changes. You don't have to, you know, pull in the left, right corner and scale it up nine millimeters. Drop a 34 millimeter field watch. Fucking do it. That's That's the charm of the vintage reissue. They don't have to be huge circulations. They can be thousand watch runs, 500 watch runs. Yeah, that's kind of what I like. That's and maybe part of my issue with with reissues, they don't have to be huge circulation flagships. Maybe they shouldn't be flagships, and maybe that's the issue I take in in general with, the with Q them. Timex. Yeah, is it shouldn't be a flagship? It's a reissue. It's a cool thing. Like, hey, we're doing this. You can't find them used. You can't find them at antique shops or in consignment stores. We'll throw you a bone. Right. Throw me a pogue. Like, just do a one-for-one pogue. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be cool if Seiko remade their automatic chronograph movement, 60, what, 6139? Yeah. And it's just like Omega 321'd it, and just released a bunch of fucking chunky-ass vintage chronographs. I'd be, I'd be into it, man. That's a really true I can get behind. I think most people don't like chunky watches. I am oh I realize I'm a weirdo in that regard. We've done a whole episode on thick, right, thick watches. Thick, and there's a reason for thick, that. Thick watches. Uh yeah, I you know, I, I'm pretty I think I'm pretty loose with these things. You know, I don't mind material upgrades usually. Sometimes I think, well, you, you know, I've got a soft spot for acrylic. Uh, well, so do I. That's why I say I don't, I don't think it's an upgrade to go to Sapphire. And and that's subjective, right? I know some people, for very good reasons, want Sapphire. And and I respect the shit out of that. I, I actually really enjoy my acrylic crystal watches. And, and I, don't have, I don't have those feelings, those deep, those deep feelings about it. Um, you, you know, I, I think my biggest 
point of contention with vintage reissues. And this is not all vintage reissues. In fact, not even most of the ones we've talked about today. But I think many vintage reissues, especially on the mid to higher end, um, come out with vintage loom and Ugh. and faux, faux tina, which... I think uh, I think Jack Forster has written an entire article about the origins of Fotina, um, that that phrase. Um, I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I want to earn it. Well, I don't care about that so much. I just want a watch that doesn't look contrived. I, that's my issue with Fotina generally. Like I think that there's a Longines field watch that has like black paint splattered on the dial uh to create the illusion of a degrading dial paint uh there's any number of really really highly colored orange and tan that raw umber i don't want it i don't want it i don't think that that's particularly aesthetically pleasing in in a vintage watch i see the appeal but in a modern new watch, give me crisp, sharp, clean coast. I, I realize that I'm. It was when it, you when it was brand new. Why shouldn't it be now? Yeah, right. And, and and I think that there's an argument to well, you know, tritium or or not tritium, but radium is going to degrade in a way that Luminova Luminova is very stable compared to the loom we were using even in the early part of the 1990s, right? And so. There's this lost, uh, there's this lost expression of a watch's vintage, uh, m- maybe forever, right? Any watch with Luminova will never patina. You, you know, just like modern paints aren't going to go tropical, like like an old Rolex or an old right. Omega, right? That's lost to us. And so, if we want that, we've got to do it on the front end, and it's got to be contrived i don't want that personally if if i have a a a no-no i also don't you know i don't think this is happening as much anymore but i i don't like that expansion to bigger sizes although i will say some watches 32 millimeters for me probably too small then don't release it probably too small if you have a really neat 32 millimeter watch and you want to release that today in 36, I'm fine with that. I think that that's probably a pretty appropriate size. In, in do fact, a split, do a 32 and a 36 release. Hamilton released their khaki Pioneer mm. at, uh, a couple of years ago. I believe it's a hand wine, but it's kind of a square rectangle cushion case. And they released it true to size, which is 36, I believe. I think it's maybe a little too small. I, I think that that watch... Even just a fraction bigger, maybe more wearable. Um, although it's not too small, so so I'm just sort of spouting off at this point. But I don't mind that size change. If you want to give me a slightly more modern size for a, a, a actually probably undersized watch in modern terms, I'm okay with that. The, don't give me Fotina. That's my only. Yeah, that's my only hard and fast rule. Because then you're a liar. So, as usual, we've solved absolutely nothing. Who cares? We drank some beers. We talked about watches. I drank seltzer because I'm committed to this keto lifestyle. Hate it for you, my friend. <clears throat> we've uh, let Seiko know that they have a buyer for a Pogue release. 
So if you're listening, you can make one. That's fine. Mr. Seiko, if you can hear us. Not Uncle Seiko. It's Mr. It's, it's yeah. A, yeah, it's a different yeah. fellow. Uh, yeah, you know, the only problem is if Seiko released a 6139 completely re-engineered movement, God, be f- it would only be in watches at about $9,000 and up. And only available in Japan. Per, perhaps, yeah. Bullshit. Anything else you want to add? There's a lot of things I want to add, but we're out of time. Andrew, other things, what do you got? Did you like the efficiency there? Mm-mm. You didn't like it? No. Andrew? There's a Q Timex 1978 three-hander release that I very much like. Other things. That's another thing. What sort of what we're talking about. I have the men's better sweater, one quarter zip fleece from Patagonia. Not from Patagonia. It's from the company. So I've had this fleece sweater for three-ish years. It's not really a sweater. It's called a fleece sweater. I know they call it the better sweater, but it's not really a sweater. But No, it's a quarter zip. It's, it's, a, a, it's a, a fleece. It's a fleece. But it's big fleece. It's not micro fleece, so I don't get sweaty in it. It's kind of a woven woolen outer, so I don't look like a uh, stripper on the outside because everyone makes fun of my just pure fleece crew neck zip up. says it looks like a lady jacket. It does look like a lady jacket, but it's the best insulating layer that I have. I, I'm 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 like really waffling about making you explain the stripper comment, but I think I'm gonna let it lie. Apparently strippers wear fur jackets. It looks like a fur like a black fur coat. Okay. But it's not it's not fluffy like that. It doesn't matter. So this I've had for about three years. It's pilled some actually a good amount on like the high friction areas. You know, on the inside of the arms, in the armpits, places where you'd expect your jacket to pill. They're 120 bucks, and I'm I'm usually kind of anti-Patagonia pricing. Patagucci? Yeah, because I'm almost universally, you can get an almost as good, definitely cheaper REI branded analog. Or Marmot. Or poor, Marmot. Poor Take, man's, poor man's. Patagonia. Take your pick, right? Yeah. This is my go-to transitional weather pullover. It's a little too warm for summer. It's mm. a little too, like for, for midsummer, but for even like May mornings, June mornings, even into like July evenings, this is money. Yeah. It breathes really well, but it's a great insulator. It fits right in all the right places, at least for my body type. It's not too tight around the torso. It's not too loose around the belly. It's not too light, too tight in the arms. It's a good color. I have the uh, new navy, and I love this thing. This is the only Patagonia product that I've ever tried on, worn, and retained. Just loved it the whole it's, time. Yes, it's well, so good. It's one of those. It's one of those like borderline ubiquitous garments, right? Mm-hmm. Where so many people have it, you know, it's got to be meeting the needs but of. So many people wear things like that that are not comfortable. Right. <laughs> Ugg boots, for example. I love me some slippers. Slippers are not all day out in life wear shoes, <laughs> but bitches wear Ugg boots all over. <laughs> 
This is not an UGG boot. This is a this is a good transitional cool to just on the on the low end of warm weather. Like at about 60 degrees is kind of the top threshold of where this is comfortable down to probably like the mid 30s. Just this as a standalone. And 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 as a warning, I'm a cold weather person, so it might not go as low for you. But mid thirties, this is can be a standalone for me. It's got a single pocket, a breast side pocket, kind of a I mean the the typical Patagonia little. That's not a patch; it's the sew on tag. iPhone four sized. Yeah. Well, let's see. Oh man, you got so you that's got a, the thirteen in there. That's an eleven. Oh. <laughs> uh, so the iPhone eleven fits in there. Uh yeah, it's not. It's it's just it's a u- really ubiquitous piece of clothing. You've seen plenty of people wearing it. If you're looking for a good transitional weather upgrade this year, the hundred and twenty dollars for the Patagonia is worth it. When you said you've had that for three years and you wear it <clears throat> awful a lot, you wear it yeah. a lot. I can attest. Uh, and not a, uh, that sounded bad. Not an obnoxiously a lot amount, but uh, it's not my only jacket you, or sweater. You wear it quite a bit, and yeah. it looks brand new. I wear it uh, under things as a as a layering option. I wear it like just over a t shirt, but I've worn it under a rain jacket. I've worn it under a puffy. I've I've hunted in it. I fished in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like meant for layering the way it, yeah. you know the form and everything. Yeah, hundred twenty bucks. It and it's I mean available. I'm I don't know. This is right from the Patagonia website. I don't know if it's less or more from REI or anywhere else. But if you are thinking about a quarter zip sweater, intermediate layer. Yeah, this is. This is money. I wouldn't endorse most Patagonia stuff because I, I think it's just Patagucci. But. <laughs> I've got another thing. <clears throat> Do me. I So I don't know uh, if I've ever really talked about uh, my personal art endeavors on the show, but I do art, the occasional art thing. Uh, it's generally nudes of me. Mostly, mostly. A lot of that, actually. Uh I have recently uh, started looking into printmaking, printmaking, and uh, I wanted to do some prints. I, I had a, I, I have a, I had slash have a kind of a bigger piece in mind, but I started to look into lino cut, which is the medium of taking pieces, panels of linoleum. They come in different sizes and they're different kinds of linoleum. Most of them are not actually linoleum. They're different kinds of composites. Um, the one I'm using is a linseed oil and cork mixture that's compressed. And Anyway, they call it linoleum. And carving into the surface of it, it's a relief print, right? So just like a rubber stamp, you've got a flat layer on top and then a relief layer underneath that. What sticks up will print and what doesn't doesn't print. Everybody's used a rubber stamp. It's the same. It's the same idea. Um, and I kind of spent a lot of time thinking about this and looking for materials. Well, I finally this week kind of put everything together and have started my first print is takes it it's you can't just sit down and do it all at once because you've got 
drying times and you've got, I'm doing what's called a reduction linocut, which you remove uh, pieces of the same panel in between each print. And so each print you're printing a little bit less material on top of the old material. Um, so it takes days. You can't just do it all at once. You're also doing three. Uh, well, I'm doing three. I mean, most print you do multiple, you do multiples, right? Cause you're going to have some mistakes. And I did three and one of mine is n not going to work because I made a mistake. So but I've got this big piece in mind, so I just did this to kind of learn, right? This The piece I'm doing right now is very small, five by seven. My my planned piece will be much bigger, but um, I'm just having a blast, right? I, I know I talked to you about this last weekend. And I was like, gosh, I'm really sort of like borderline obsessed and thinking about it. And um, I'm, what, three days into this now, um, you know, not constantly, but working on this sort of here and there. And I'm just loving the shit out of it. I, you know, my other thing, of course, is line of cut. I think, but like more uh, comprehensively, it's like doing this new thing. I'm learning new skills, which I don't think directly translate to anything, but are just, it just is really enriching. Anytime you like dive into this thing you don't know you know I, I like buying shit i gotta buy new tools and tragedy right <laughs> uh i'm just loving the shit out of it man i have enjoyed that every night before i go to bed i send you a I, picture I a message i get a picture of the progress it's the <laughs> last thing i see before i go to bed every night i don't know how you time it so well <laughs> uh i don't think you're gonna get a picture tonight but i think it's too late but i'll, I'll probably make the last print tomorrow and then you can just send me a picture of it now with no changes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sleep tonight. So yeah, my other thing is lino cutting. If you do lino cutting, hit me up because uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'd love to sort of exchange ideas as I'm learning this process. You know, like I said, I'm, I've purchased these small pieces of linoleum now to kind of practice and to figure out like, how is this going to go in real life? What do I need to, you know, I, I've got in my brain how I need to do it. What do I actually need to do? What is my what is my plan missing? And I'm learning a ton. And so if you've got ideas, I'd love to pick your brain about this. Also, if you remodel your kitchens or bathrooms in the next couple months, I will give you Everett's home address and you can send him all your linoleum scrap. Because that's how this works. Yep. yep. Andrew, what else you got, man? Are we, are, are we done? It's it for me. I'm done. Because I'm kind of done. We had our issues with reissues and, you know, the matter is solved. We figured it out as usual. Hey, thanks you guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram. At 40 and 20, at the Watch Clicker, at Watch Clicker. That's where we post posts sometimes. Uh, Watchclicker.com, that's our website. Um, regular articles, sometimes they're watch reviews, sometimes they're more interesting than that. Uh watchclicker.com. If you want to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get all the money for hosting photos and podcasts and websites and also how we support Andrew's pedagogy hobby. How else am I supposed to get the good shit? <laughs> and don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs>